let's go ahead and get started here. Yes, I'm going to um, I'm going to pass this here around. This is our offering container, and you can throw offering in this. But offering that goes in this is going to go to Steadfast. If you want to put your uh, slips of like um, what you what you plan on giving to Mark, if you want to put those in here, that's okay. But don't put money for Mark in here yet. Okay, we'll do that. We'll we'll pass around a different offering to do that. But this one here is the slips for Mark and uh, and money for Steadfast. Okay, and you're going to catch it. All right. Uh, have you guys ever been given the task of cleaning something by someone older than you, like an adult, like your mom or your dad? And they tell you that they want you to clean something for them. And it could really be anything. It could be, I don't know, a car. It could be a room in your house. It could be anything, I mean, of, of all these different areas. But they ask you to clean something for them. Okay, my whole life I have spent in a garage. Okay, my, my grandfather started a shop when he was um, a lot younger, back in 1952. Our shop has been in business ever since then. So when I was born, I was ba- basically born into it. Um, at a very, very early age, when I would hang out, my grandfather and my dad would ask me just to clean something because if I'm standing around doing nothing, they'd basically put me to work. Very early age. So like they give me a job like, Cameron, clean off this bench. Clean it up because it's all greasy, it's all dirty. So, you know... You go ahead and start scrubbing on this thing. You take and you pick stuff up. You clean it up all as well as you could. Move stuff around. You you know you wipe it down and stuff like that. And then of course you know after a while finally you know like Grandpa he'd come back over and he'd come and you take a look at it because he'd had to inspect what you do. Of course, you just spent however much time you know and you just finish it all up and you're all proud. Grandpa comes up. Are you done? It's kind of a little. Yeah, I'm done. I clean up the bench. His grandpa kind of takes a look at it. You ain't even got a good start on that bench. That's his response. You think you're done? You ain't even got a good start. Of course, my heart is, is broken. It's crushed. I don't even have a good start. I just worked on this so hard. How? I cleaned it. It's done. And then, of course, he'd come up and he'd take, pull out a rag, Maybe do the same thing I would, but he'd take and he'd really, really scrub on it. And he'd say, you see how clean this is? Now watch. He'd take a scrub on it. He'd say, that's how clean it needs to be. And soon, very, very soon, I realized the fact that a great deal of how well something is done depends on the effort we put into it. Good old thing old people call elbow grease. How much elbow grease you put into it. I would clean this bench, and I thought it was good. But see, Grandpa expected a little more. He expected me to put a little elbow grease into it and really clean that thing up. I didn't really understand that yet. But I learned it. Working hard, not just working, um, not just skimming a surface or just wiping something down, but, man, really getting into it. Not just wiping what you can see, but cleaning everything that you can't see as well. You know, doing every little piece of it. And I learned that over the time. And I learned about this, this elbow grease that's a lot deeper. The next two messages I'm going to get to you are entitled Elbow Grease, tonight and next week. And tonight we're going to talk about elbow grease in the church. And next week we're going to talk about elbow grease on the street. Street. Oh. 
Let me check you tonight and don't lie to me. Are you here for God? Yes. Do you want to learn? Yes. Are you willing to change? Yes. Okay, then let's start. What's that? All right, we'll see. People come into a church often, often on the arm of someone who they love. Okay, someone might bring them to a church service and they, they bring them in because, you know, they're my friend and that's why someone feels comfortable coming into church. That's, that's easily, they say, somewhere around like 60, 70% of people who come to church. It's always on the arm of somebody who they know. They come walking in that way. After a while, they become part of the community. They fall in love with the people around them. They fall in love with Jesus without even really noticing it because of the people who are there, kind of what we talked about two weeks ago. And they become a regular part of this church and they become consistent, excuse me, and many of us in this group have went through these paces of slowly developing a love through Christ as we come here, but it's kind of the true Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 story. You guys know that? If you don't, go ahead and go to it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says this, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And that's exactly it. These people didn't come in and really, they didn't do anything to earn salvation. God's gift is free. They just come in and they experienced it. And after a while they fell in love with God and they made it part of who they were. It was free. Like it says, that it's not by works that you're saved. But what's interesting about this story and what I always say, people always quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. In fact, it was one of the very first scripture verses that I ever remembered. But what I never understood was why they cut off verse 10. Because verse 10 starts with the word for. And the word for means that whatever was just stated, this is the reason why. So if I said, I'm going to give you my keys for you to get me a soda. Okay? I'm going to give you this for this. It's because of the last thing that this thing is there. Okay? So if it says for, then that means that this is the reason why what happened just happened. And verse 10 says this, for we're create, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what it's saying is the fact that God knew you. God saved you. He bought and paid for you. But he did it so you could work for him. But that's one of the reasons why. And there's other reasons. God loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish, and that's another reason why he saved you. But he saved you so you could do works for him. That's part of the reason why. Do you believe that you're doing it tonight? Are you doing the work that God has called you to do? If you have a relationship with Christ, verse 10 in this says that, man, he has already created works for you long before you even came to know him. So are you doing them? Are you accomplishing what he has for you? God has big plans for your life and great work for you to accomplish. I don't know all of the answers that are coming up in your head right now when you ask yourself that question. Hmm. Am I doing what God has for me or not? Some might be saying, you know, yeah, I think. Some of you are like, no, man, I don't, I don't know at all. We'll be going back and forth. But I'm here to ask you tonight, do you think you're done? Do you think you're done? And I'm here to respond to you, you don't even have a good start. 
just like Grandpa told me, you don't even have a good start. You think you're done? You don't even have a good start. The reason why is because you've got to put some elbow grease into it. You've got to put some serious elbow grease into it, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight and next week. God has amazing plans for your life, and we're called to do great work, and especially together as a church. If you read through, the God's, through God's Word, all throughout the Bible, you'll notice this pattern, and it's this, is that Christians are always called to be together. Always together. You ever notice people get saved and all stuff like that, and they always are supposed to find a community. There's always supposed to be someone else that goes with them. Man, if you trace all the way back to the beginning, God created Adam to be his best friend and still said it's not good for him to be alone. He was with God. But God said, you know, it's still not right for him to be alone. You're always supposed to be with somebody. A Christian life is a life of community. What that means is that we're supposed to also be working hard together. It's a given. As a community of believers, or the church, which of course isn't the four walls, but the church is what? The body of believers. The body of those people that believe. A group of us together. Together we should be following Christ. Together we should begin to work hard for God. We can jump back to Ephesians. If you guys still have your your finger there in the Bible, go ahead and turn forward just a couple pages to Ephesians 4, and I want to read this to you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says this, It was he, talking about God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now, this it says two. Two, meaning the reason why it happened. He did this to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what does it say? Mature. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What it's saying is that God gives people special leadership, special leader um, abilities, special prophetic, all these different things. But why does he give them? To prepare God's people to do the works of service that God has for them. That's why he does it. So that the body of Christ can come together and accomplish great work together. Why it all happens. And he says when we do, what's going to happen? We're going to become mature. We're going to become mature in our knowledge of God as we work for him. What it's saying is that each part is supposed to do its work no matter who you are. And together as a church, we're supposed to work together for the greatest good. There are a few things that we really do need to understand, though, that often keep us from actually doing this, from becoming part of the active church working. And first and foremost, it's this, is that people don't make it their own. You don't make it your own. It's great that God is going to do awesome things in your own life, and he is. He's going to do specifically great things for you that you are supposed to accomplish. But you need to be working in a church, in a group of people, as well, not just one or the other. People will say, well, you know, my ministry is, is giving mercy. When I look through the Bible, man, I'm just, a, I'm a mercy giver, and that's what I do all day long. Well, that's great. Come and do it here, too. Become part of a church and give that same ministry its place inside of the body where it needs to be as well. You need to make the church's heart your own heart. You need to find a church that you really do connect with, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to do it. 
But you need to find a church that your heart is in alignment with and you need to make that church's heart your own heart and unify together to see what can we possibly do when we all produce synergy, working together. You should care that things get done. You should care that progress is made. You should care that, you know what, something didn't work. Why didn't it work? Man, why couldn't that have happened? Do not think, and this is what we often do, someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of that. Someone else will take care of it. I know I'm part of this, but someone else will do it. Well, you know what? I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've met somebody else, and he sucks. Somebody else never shows up. That dude is a lazy bum, okay? I've waited around for him time and time again, and somebody else is always off doing something else. And you know who does it? Me! I do it! Somebody else doesn't show up, and someone who's just in leadership just says, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it again. It's, it's okay. Fine. I'll just take care of it. And somebody else doesn't show up. What it should be when you, when you find a church that you unify with in your heart is it should no longer be it should no longer be why should I? But it should be why shouldn't I? That's what your heart should be. It's not why should I help? It's why shouldn't I help? Why shouldn't I do that? Why shouldn't I help with that? Why shouldn't I make sure that happens? That's what it needs to be. And man, as we unify together, man, crazy stuff can happen. Awesome stuff can happen. Second, something that people let stand in their way about really unifying and getting a place of ministry in the church is that they let their sin stand in their own way. They let your sin stand in your own way. And what I mean is this, people have great gifts, they have great talents, they have abilities. Maybe they are just one of those amazing idea people. But they don't want to do anything because they're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wreck. People even might get an opportunity given to them. Someone might say, you know what, I really think you'd be good to do this. And we could really use your help. And I say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I don't think I'm worthy to step into that position. And you know, people do this over and over and over again. You know what, no, no. But I'm here to tell you this, and it, it's crazy, but we're all sinners. Every single one of us. I don't know if you guys ever heard this one or not, but if you go to 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, remember this verse because I love it. This is in Timothy. If you guys know, it, it's Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, this young man who's going to become a pastor. And he says this in, in, in verse 15, Here is a trustworthy saying, something you can trust on that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is Paul. The man who is accredited for writing more of the Bible than anybody else, the man who is accredited for doing probably the most amazing missionary journeys that we have in our history, the man who has affected countless number of great men of God reading his words and being inspired by them. When he writes to Timothy, he says, Man, Jesus Christ has came to save sinners, and I am the worst. I am the worst. You can't let sin that you are fighting, that you are honestly working against, struggling against, fighting against, you can't let that stand in your way from keeping you doing the ministry that you're called to do because it'll always be there. There's always something that we're working on. We're sinners. 
man, we are sinners, every single one of us. I'm a failure every day of my life, and I try hard, but I always make mistakes. That's who we are. But you can't let it keep you from thinking that you're unworthy of doing God's work, because that's just crazy. The most amazing work that we've ever seen done in the Bible was done by average sinners, not extraordinary saints. Not extraordinary saints, but just average sinners who tried really, really hard. Man who realized that I'm a failure, but man, I'm willing to work for God. And I'm willing to put my hands to it. Right here, average sinner. Just who's willing. You can't let the fact that you're not perfect stand in your way from actually moving forward and accomplishing stuff for God. Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. What Satan wants to do is make you feel like you're, you're not good enough. And none of us are. None of us are good enough. But Jesus Christ paid for those sins, and they shouldn't stand in the way of you doing awesome things for him. You shouldn't let those stand in your way. I have one, I have one comment about that, and it's this, though. And just remember this is a wise, a wise thing to go along with that. Slightly different when you're talking about leadership, as in leading ministries or, or leading groups of people. Just slightly different. And I'll say this. If you have sin that is not public, you have sin that you're not trying to deal with, and you have sin that you're still hiding from people, don't step into a place of leadership. There's a lot of other work that you know what you can still start doing for God. But if it's a place of leadership and you have sin that you're still hiding from people, don't step into a place of leadership. I will tell you that. That's a wise saying to be thought of. But when you release that, you know, I have things that I still struggle with on, on a daily basis, and God has let me step into tremendous places of leadership because I'm honest and I don't hide anything. Now, I know I'm a failure, but I work hard for God, and I give all that I possibly can. What happens when we come together as a body? What happens is we, we join together as a church, and great and tremendous things can happen. Great and tremendous things can happen, because together we are so, so much stronger. Man, we can accomplish this, or we can accomplish that, but together we can accomplish ten times what we would have apart. And that's what's so exciting. Man, the local church is the answer. The local church is the answer. You wonder what's going to save this hurting and dying world? It's a group of average people getting together and saying they're willing to do work for God. That's what's going to change the world. A bunch of average sinners who say, man, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to do God's work. But what does it look like for you? Because that's really the answer, right? I mean, the, the question that you have in your heart and what we need to answer. What does it look like for me, though? Because... I understand I'm supposed to do something, but what? Well, Romans, a pretty good book as well. Romans 12, and verses 6 and 8, I want to read to you real quick. It says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, well, then let him use it in the proportion of his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's in leadership, let him govern, govern, governor, excuse me, govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So it lists off just a list of things that, man, these are attributes that God gives. These are gifts that God gives to people in the spirit realm. What it is is this, is that when you go through these, you'll probably find one that stands out as more like you. Ask God. 
man, what gifts have you given me? What gifts have you put in my tool belt already? What have you already set me up to do? And you know what? Beg God that he'll show you, and then once he does, stand on him as a promise. Don't just say, I think I am. But when you feel like God's saying, this is you, man, take it and run with it and say, I know, I know that I have the gift of mercy. God has put that in my heart, and I am going to use that to do God's will because that's a gift that he has given me, and I'm not going to waste it. I am not going to waste that. If he took the time to give it to me, I'm going to use it. So you find it, and then you need to tell about it. Man, tell your friends. Tell the people who are in the church with you. Tell your leadership. This is a gift that God has given me, and I want to use it. I want to use it. And then start using it, not just having it. A lot of people, I believe, are given these gifts, and they're probably taken away after a short period of time because they get saved and they never use them. And God says that if you don't use it, he takes it away and gives it to someone else. So you better use it, whatever it is that he has given you. Now, on the flip side of the coin, I think this. I think some Christians have used this list as a cop-out. You know what a cop-out is? It's basically a way of like making an excuse for what you're doing. But people will also make an excuse of this, is when someone asks them to do something, they'll say, well, you know what, brother? That's not my gift. That is not my gift. It's great that you thought of me, but mm, that's not my gift. The serving thing, totally not my gift. I'm sorry. I can't help you out there. Use it as a cop-out. And I say this, as a balanced Christian, you've been given special gifts. But as a balanced Christian, you're going to have to do a whole lot of work outside of your gifting. A whole lot of work outside of your gifting. You know what your gifts mean? Your gifts mean that you're good at something and you can do it easily. It means you have to do all the rest by your own might sometimes. Because we all have a lot to accomplish. We have a lot of work to do with God. And we have to beg God, you know what? If we start getting into those positions, someone says, I need you to do this. And you say, man, that's not my gift. You take it and you run with it and you beg God to give you that gift. To keep up with what you're doing for him. Because he's going to do it. It talks about in Luke 11 that if you keep on knocking on that door and asking for the Holy Spirit, man, he's going to give it to you. Same thing applies with this, these spiritual gifts. Man, you start knocking on his door and he's going to give them to you. And just because my, my gift, people say, you know what, well, Cameron, you have a gift of leading and teaching. Oh, that's cool. My gift is leading and teaching. Does that mean I don't have to show mercy? No, I still have to show mercy, don't I? I still have to show mercy. I think what's really cool in the very first uh, line of this, of these different things it gives, it says prophecy, and it has this great little line that I think can really apply to all of them. And it says, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. I think that's really powerful. Because what that means is it means that, you know what, you might say, I'm, a, I'm not a leader. And you know, you're right. Maybe God hasn't gifted you with that. That's not your gifting, and that's cool. You're not going to be called to step into some, you know, insane leadership position. But you know what? Use the amount of leadership you have to the proportion of your faith. If you say, you know what, I don't have much leadership, then you're only going to take a little bit. But you know what? Take that little bit. Any of these other different, these different areas with the same thing, use it in proportion to your faith. When you start working, you're going to see awesome stuff happen in your life. Because Jesus Christ is the most unselfish force in the universe. God is. We see that established by what he did here on earth. It was always about others. And when we start focusing on other people and what needs to happen, 
you know what, we're getting closer to Jesus' heart. And we're going to start understanding him better. That's what's crazy. That work is going to bring you to a place where you can understand who Jesus Christ is even better. You have to be willing to work. I, I was just, when I was praying earlier before tonight, just walking back and forth, just praying about it, I was realizing, you know, every single time I pray, I keep on feeling like God says time is short. Time is short. And it's getting stronger and stronger every single day. It's been getting stronger and stronger every year. And I don't think it's going away. And you know what the answer is, like I said, is a group of average sinners who are willing to work. Time is short. We don't always have time to say, you know what, just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. I'll, you know, I'll start working. I'll start working soon. Not only that, but I'm not just here to talk to you about working. Because I was working when I was cleaning that bench, wasn't I? But what I was telling you about was elbow grease. That's hard work. That's really, really, I mean, grinding. You know what I'm saying? Taking, I, you get that rag and you just go to town and that thing. It hurts. Your arms start aching because you're working so hard at it. That's the exact same thing that God's called us to. You know, if God has saved my soul from eternal damnation, do you think it's too much to ask to sacrifice some time to work for him? You know, let's do a, let's do a, quick, little, a quick little formula here. Anyone got a calculator? Get out your calculators. Very good. Go ahead, pull it out. All right, and there is 24 hours in every day, right? Well, we're going to go with 24. Um, 24 hours times 7, okay? What does that equal? 168. 168. I don't got a pen with me up here. Darn it. Pen? Anyone? Rock on. I was going to remember to bring one. All right, 168. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, on the average, how many hours do you get of work? each week, okay? And just write that number down somewhere too. How many, on the average, how many, how many hours do you usually work? I know I, I just stole your ability to do this, Christian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, how many hours do you spend working at, at your job to earn money? Go ahead and write that down too. Then I want you to do is go ahead and, go ahead and look, how many hours do you normally get to sleep each night? And take that times seven, whatever it may be. You might be one of those people who don't sleep like me. Six hours is pretty good for me. That's as good as it usually gets. So, you know, I'm only, I'm only like 42 hours. You know, six hours is as is, is much as I usually get. How many of those people sleep like ridiculous amounts of time? Good, yeah, go ahead. You guys like the eight-hour crew? Eight hour? Or is that long, longer than eight hours? Are you serious? If it was nine hours, do you have any, you're, you're sleeping like 63 hours a week. So go ahead and write that down, whatever it may be. Very good, yep. All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to total up how much time you spend each day working for God. How much time each day do you spend focused wholeheartedly on God? And you know what, I'll even, I'll even let you throw in your prayer time and your Bible reading time on top of that if you want. How much time do you spend each day working for God? And you can total it up. You can total up your days. Obviously, on Thursday night, maybe you consider this, you know, I, I come here and I do help out. Maybe that's what it is. And um, you're going to add that time on there. But go ahead, and, go ahead and add that up real quick through your week. 
All right, good. Now, whatever that number is, okay, I want you to take that number and then, of course, divide it by 168. That's how many hours you have in your week. That number? No. Divide it. You take that number and you divide it by 168. Yes. Not joking. Not joking. And it's going to be a point zero something. No, no, no. Just the, just the amount of time you spent, you spent just with the Bible. No, 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 no. The amount of time you spent with God, the amount of time you spent working for God in a week divided by 168. I do. What does most people get? How many people even got, even past, let's say, 5%? No. How many percentage did you get? Yep. Okay. How many people got like 10%? Like right at 10%? How much? What do, you, what do you got? What do you got? 14. What's that? Okay, so that's like 8, 8, 3.9%. 14%? That's pretty good. 10%? Rock on. Rock on. Yeah, I got like 8%. 8% of my time, maybe. I don't know. You know what? Something like that. I spent really working for God. Now, let's just stop for a second. Do you really think that you're working hard if you're, if you're giving God like 5% of your time? Do you think we're really working hard I mean, I feel convicted on this when I did it. Am I really working hard for God? I mean, putting elbow grease in for God. No, I don't feel like it at all. In fact, I feel pretty, pretty weak on that. Pretty weak. And I give a lot of time. I give a lot of time working for God. Realize it's still not enough. No matter what you're working at, you haven't worked hard enough. You've got to put some elbow grease into it. I want to encourage you to do this. Do you guys know what a Gadite is? Of course not, right? The Gadites were, uh, were a group of people in the Bible. And there's a specific group of Gadites that I fell in love with a few years back fell in love with them, and they're talked about in First Chronicles 12.8. It's talking about David's mighty men. Of course, David was a man after God's own heart, and he had a ton of people who came to follow him and basically follow what he was, he was going to do for God. And in this section of, of Chronicles, it's listing off men who come to fight in his army. But in First Chronicle, Chronicles 12. And uh, starting at 8, it says this, Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, 
and able to handle the shield and the spear. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. These are hardcore guys, okay? Faces like lions. You're talking about mean, burly men that are swift as gazelles. That means fast. But it goes through and it says, you know, Ezer was the chief, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atiah the sixth, Aleel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzbad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Maccabeah the eleventh. And listen down the order, but it says this in verse 14. These Gadites were army commanders. The least was a match for a hundred and the greatest a match for a thousand. It talks about these men coming to David and it says that the least of these 11, you wouldn't have even considered you would have traded him for a hundred of your regular men. He's worth that much. And it says the greatest, he was worth a thousand men. That a king would easily swap a thousand regular men for this man because he was so powerful. Such a good warrior, such a good chief. When I read this, I fell in love with it because I realized what we should be striving to be. We should be working hard enough that we are worth a hundred or we are worth a thousand average Christians. That we put enough elbow grease into our activities and we work hard enough that, man, when it comes to the church, to what we can give, we're worth a thousand what a normal person can give. Man, you've got to become a Gadite. You have to become swift, and you have to become strong. You have to know what to do. What this means is that, man, if you want to be a Gadite to a church, you need to really get the tools under your belt. Learn what it takes to keep the church body running. Learn what it takes to do the production. Learn what it takes um, for the leadership to accomplish what they have to. Learn what it takes to be able to teach. Learn what it takes to be able to take care of what has to be done on a daily, on a weekly basis. Think of it this way. Why should I? No. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I learn these things? Why shouldn't I help? We'll give you opportunities here, and this is a good place to start. If you want to become a Gadite for the rest of your life, a person that is worth a thousand to a church. Because there's those people. There's those people in this world. If you want to become that, this is a great place to start. Right here in Steadfast. Where you can begin to really work hard. We're going to even have special time. In uh, three weeks, we're going to have a special time devoted towards actually moving on this. And saying, what is it that I can do? What is it that I can do to help? And beginning to work in it. Beginning to actually work in it. It all boils down to this. Whatever work you're doing, do you think that you're done? You don't even have a good start. And it doesn't matter where you sit tonight. I can say the same thing to anybody. I wouldn't hesitate to say it to our senior pastor if he was sitting in the front row. If anybody that I knew who's a Christian, I'd tell him, you don't even have a good start of what God wants you to accomplish. You need to put some elbow grease into it. You need to really start working hard. Because time is short, and you only have so much time. I want to pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And um, 
I pray to you, Lord God, that you would just convict us, Lord God, of the lack of work that we've actually put into our relationship with you. Lord, of the lack of time that we spent trying to develop a relationship with you, or the lack of hard work we spent talking to you, the lack of hard work we spent doing, Lord, awesome things that, that could be done inside the church, Lord, for you. I pray to you that you would convict us, Lord, and break our hearts. I pray to you, God, that you would show us um, perhaps how lax we've been, but I pray to you that it wouldn't just be because you want to break our hearts, but because we can change. I pray to you, God, that you would just call us, Lord, to a life, Lord, to a life of hard work because we love you so much. Because we love you so much, you have saved us and from an eternity of, an eternity of hell. And to give you my time, to give you my energy is barely anything. I pray to you, God, that you would just work this out in all of us. I pray to you that we wouldn't just be able to forget about it, but Lord, I pray to you that you would just burn into us, Lord, that we want to become Gadites. We want to become people that are worth a great and tremendous amount to you. I just thank you for what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, next week we continue. Next week is hard work on the streets, and uh, I'll be pretty sweet. So, I love you guys.